encouraging that we can be back together in this room, many of us, and we should be thankful for that. We're also thankful for many of you who are joining us uh, via our live stream. Again, we're thankful for technology and times like these where we can make use of and still in small ways be able to kind of join together electronically, but we're thankful for each of you, uh, whether you're here in person or whether you're at home. Hopefully you're not driving and watching this. Uh, that would be dangerous for you and for others, but uh, if you're a passenger, maybe that's okay. But uh, we're glad to be together today. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to, our text for today will be verses 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. We're continuing in week two of our current sermon series called A Peculiar People. Today, our focus will be upon the mission that we have been given as God's people. Let me read beginning in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians in verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it is true. Lord, would you use it now in our lives to strengthen us, to encourage us, to motivate us, to convict us and change us for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So what is the mission of the church. What is it we're called to do? Think about that. Organizations, companies, spend millions of dollars every year on defining their mission. You've got mission statements everywhere. Even fast food restaurants have mission statements on the wall assuring us that they are determined to serve the best burger and fries in the community. But what about the mission of the church? When it comes to answering this question, what is the mission of the church, lots of answers have been given. And I think answering that question depends exactly on what we mean by mission. Requires us to understand kind of a, a, a specific thing in mind. If we go too broad, then everything becomes mission, everything. I mean, there are lots of good things that we can do as Christians in the world. I mean, there are many things, digging wells, food banks, medical care, children's homes, crisis pregnancy centers, community renewal, all of these kinds of things as image bearers in our local communities and in our neighborhoods and cities. There are a lot of things that we can do 
as Christians to bring glory to God in the world. There are a lot of good things that we can do, but are these kinds of things our mission? When we refer to mission, what we mean to identify is the specific task that the church is sent into the world to accomplish. If we think in terms of specific tasks, then the things I've just referred to, while good and important and worthy of our time and attention, these things don't ultimately determine and define our mission. They may be done as we seek to fulfill our mission, but they are not in and of themselves mission. What is the mission of the church? I think it's an important question to ask and answer, not just in our day and time, but I think on a regular basis for the church, because there are a lot of things in the world that we can spend our time doing, a lot of good things, a lot of important things, a lot of things that should we, we should invest in, but even good things, a lot of things in the world that can distract us, even good things in the world can distract us. There are many things that can often distract us as Christians and as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can distract us from the mission that we've been given as God's people. When we think about the mission, we can think about it in this way. God's mission in the world is a mission of reconciliation. And we, as God's people in the world, are called, as his people, to help advance this purpose, this cause, in the world. So as we think through that this morning, as we think about the mission, specifically a mission of reconciliation, I want us to walk through this passage in 2 Corinthians, and I want us to think about what it means to be on mission as God has intended his people to be on mission. Several truths about this mission that we should keep before us today. Truth number one about the mission, specifically the mission of reconciliation, is that God is the initiator of the mission. God himself is the initiator of the mission. If you look at the text, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, if we were to look at the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you go back to chapter 4, chapter 3, Paul is in this process of defending, defining, and defending his ministry. He's, he's, in, he's, he's teasing out in great detail exactly what he's been called to do and why he's been called to do it. And, and you get to the end here of chapter 5, and, and he's wrapping this thought up, and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, behold, the new has come. All this, all of what he's just said, all this is from God. Whenever we think about the mission of God in the world, we must always keep in mind that it is in fact his mission. He is the great initiator of this work of reconciliation. He is the one who planned it. 
He is the one who, as we will see, executed it. He is the one who is ultimately and truly on mission to reconcile sinners to himself. But before we touch further on God's initiation, God's, the fact that God drives this mission, we need to understand why there's even a need for it. We're talking about reconciliation. It says in verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, etc. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Why is this mission and ministry of reconciliation even needed to begin with? Well, reconciliation implies that there has been a break of relationship. That there's a problem, there's a conflict, there's two people at odds with one another. In other places, Paul uses words like alienated or enemies to describe who we are in our pre-conversion state. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes, <clears throat> And you who were who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. There's a lot of <clears throat> language terms that he uses there, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Romans 5 verse 10, he uses the term enemies. This is who we are outside of this work of reconciliation. This is who we are. We are hostile. We are enemies of God. We are alienated from him. We are separated. That is due to our spiritual condition. It's not due to God. It is due to our spiritual condition that we know as sin. We are sinners by nature and by choice, and therefore we have separated ourselves in rebellion against our Creator. We are sinners. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us before Christ, before being reconciled, all of us are this. Every single one of you in this room, including myself, every single one of us have been or are currently alienated from God. And as a result, we are deserving of his righteous judgment against our sin. He is holy. He is righteous. He is good. We are not. We have rebelled against him. He made us, and we turned our backs against him and, and sinned against him, and therefore are deserving of his righteous judgment against our sin. But God in his kindness, in his grace, initiated a plan a plan of reconciliation to reconcile sinners to himself. This, friends, is indeed the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation is the story of God's work of reconciliation, his plan to redeem sinners from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, Jew and Gentile. His plan from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, is to take those who in Genesis 3 rebelled against him and to bring them back to himself in glorious fashion. That's what the Bible's about. There's a lot of other things in there for sure. 
But ultimately, if you were to say, there, if there's one narrative in the Bible, the narrative is that God is holy, we are not, and he has worked and planned and ordained and executed a plan to reconcile those who are in rebellion against him. It's what the Bible teaches us. God's story is a story of promise and fulfillment. And that story of promise and fulfillment had everything to do with the plan to reconcile sinners to himself. So God is the driving force behind our reconciliation. You and I have done nothing on our own to merit or deserve reconciliation. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul is the only one in the New Testament that uses this term reconcile or reconciliation. The noun reconciliation or the verb to reconcile. And it's interesting that whenever he uses this term, whenever the verb to reconcile is used in the active voice, God is the subject. But whenever it is used in the passive voice, humans are the subject. So in other words, God reconciles and humans are the reconciled. We don't reconcile ourselves with God. He reconciles us to himself. Friends, if any of us are going to be reconciled to God, it, it, it will be solely because of his work and his initiation. Not only is he the one who initiates it, he is the main actor in actually accomplishing it. And friends, this is so important to get. If any of us are going to be reconciled to God, it is not because we had enough sense to get our act together. It's not because we've done enough good to somehow get a pass. If any of us are going to be reconciled to God, it's because God has initiated and God has acted to reconcile sinners to himself despite our rebellion against him. This is what he does. And friends, I would just stop right here and just say this, whether you're home watching or whether you're here present with us this morning. As I said earlier, this is the state of us all before being reconciled. And if you have not yet been reconciled to God, this is your current state. Your current state would be one of alienation, of separation. You would still yet be an enemy of God if you've not received reconciliation. So how does that happen? How, how are we reconciled? Does it just fall out of the sky in a message? Float up on shore in a bottle with a message? You've now been reconciled. Is that how that works? Not at all. We move to the second observation and we see that not only is God the initiator, that Christ is the agent in the mission. You see not only God's initiation, but his action to reconcile, and his action to reconcile us comes through the means of sending his son into the world to accomplish the reconciliation we so desperately need. Notice what the text says. All this is from God. He's the one that's behind it all, who, through Christ, the agent, reconciled us to himself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Again, you see that, that that's the work that he does. 
Jesus Christ is the agent through which our reconciliation is accomplished. Again, how does he do that? How does he not count our trespasses against us? If you jump down to verse 21, you see again the work that Christ does. For our sake, he made him, God made Christ to be sin, to take upon the punishment that, of sin that we deserve. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless. He, he had no sin of his own. But he took upon himself our sin burden. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might receive righteousness. So that we might be declared righteous before God. Just before God. Reconciled. Christ does this work of reconciliation by laying down his life for sinners. So that their sin burdens. So that the debt of their sin that they owe. The the, the, the the wages of sin is death, so that Jesus, when he died, he bore our punishment on the tree. He became a curse, as Galatians puts it. He became a curse for us. He bore our sin so that our sin can be forgiven. Even, and, and he does so as a perfect man, and he lived the life that we should have lived. He, he lived a life of perfect righteousness. And so you have this, what Luther would call a great exchange. We are declared righteous because of Christ's righteousness, and yet because, of, because we were sinners, he bore the punishment for our sin. And so he becomes the necessary agent to bring about this work of reconciliation. This is not the only place that Paul refers to it. You can go to Romans chapter, chapter 5, and he fleshes this out in a lot more detail. He says in Romans 5 verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there you see the initiation and the agent who comes to die for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And notice what he says in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. How? By the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Listen, if you don't hear me say anything else the rest of the day or ever, hear me say this. You will never be reconciled to God apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way by which you can be reconciled to a holy God because he is the one who bore the penalty for our sin and is the righteous one who lived in our place. Jesus is the way for reconciliation to happen. The text I quoted earlier from Colossians chapter 1 goes on to say in verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he, Christ, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Friends, while there would be no reconciliation apart from God's initiation, there would be no reconciliation apart from Christ's life and death. And friends, that is your hope. If you are here today or if you're watching us here today, 
and you realize that you are alienated, that you are still yet an enemy, that you are still separated from God, your hope, friend, your hope is to quit looking to anything else that will somehow make you feel good about yourself. Your only hope in this world is to look to Jesus Christ and to trust in him because he is the one that God provided for you to be reconciled to himself. Look to him and be saved. You can be reconciled today, right now as I'm talking. You don't have to do some fancy thing. You can just say, okay, I believe that Jesus is the one who can reconcile me because he came and died for my sin and I put my hope and my trust in him. And that's how reconciliation happens. Through the ministry of Christ. Christians, this is your hope. This is your hope. This is, this is the very thing that gives you breath every single day. You, you wake up in a broken and, and messed up world and you feel the brokenness in your own life and you feel the hurt, you feel the pain, and then you re yet remember that in the midst of all this chaos that Christ has come for you and he came to reconcile you and to make you his own. This is a good and glorious thing that we are able to celebrate. We should never get over the fact that God in his grace and in his mercy has initiated this work and has brought this work of reconciliation about through the sending of his own son. So, Christ is the agent in this mission. Now, number three, I had to lay that groundwork because apart from that, what we do is meaningless. Okay? Anything else that we would try to do would be totally meaningless apart from those truths. These are the very foundations on which we stand as God's people in this world to be on mission with him. It is because of this that we go out and speak of the very things I've just shared. So number three, we are God's ambassadors to further that mission. God has initiated and Christ has accomplished the mission of reconciliation. But the way this work gets out, in God's providence, he has ordained that it be this way, the way that this word gets out is through the church. It's through his people. Notice what Paul says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and did what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And notice what he says again. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God is the initiator, the actor. Christ is the agent, the one who accomplishes, the one through whom reconciliation comes about. But we, as the reconciled, are given the glorious responsibility to getting the word out of all that God has done. Now, brothers and sisters, there are many good things we can and should be doing as Christians in this world, but we have to keep in mind this is at the top of the list. As Christians, we are called to do good in the world to, as we reflect God's character and seek to love our neighbor, for sure. So of course, serving the poor, speaking out against injustice, defending life, seeking better education, digging wells, going on disaster relief opportunities, and on and on we can go. Doing these good works in society are good and glorious things. But when we speak strictly of the church's mission, we must mean 
that the ministry of reconciliation is our main priority. It's our main priority. A couple of things that we need to consider regarding our role in this mission. We see it here in the text. First of all, we need to understand our motive. Again, Paul has been defending his ministry through a few chapters now. And one of the things that we see coming out of him is why he's doing what he's doing. Just a couple examples. Uh, chapter 5, verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You see his motive? What is it? Knowing the fear of the Lord. Knowing who God is. Knowing all that he is. Knowing the, the fact that we will stand before him. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who, might, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So you have the fear of the Lord, you have the love of Christ. And then, as we've heard already this morning a couple times now from verse 17, you see the text where Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. So Paul understood that his ministry as an ambassador for Christ was compelled by the fear of the Lord, the love of Christ, and the fact that he was a new creation. He had new priorities. He had a new agenda. When he, God saved him, he didn't just save him to go to heaven, although he did do that. He gave him a whole new list of obligations and responsibilities and priorities to pursue as an ambassador. He understood that his life had been reconciled by the love of Christ and that Christ died so that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them. Brothers and sisters, as you think about that, I would just ask you this question. Does that describe you? When you think about this language of being an ambassador, Paul uses it regarding his own ministry. I think it can be an easy implication that certainly we too are called to be ambassadors. Is that, is that a term you often think about when you think about yourself, about your own life, about your own stewardship? An ambassador. Friends, we are all called in some way to be ambassadors, all of us. For some, that will mean considering full-time ministry, serving among the nations, serving in this nation, serving local churches, taking on more of a formal role in some way or another. And I would say this, all of us should consider if the Lord would have that. If you've never thought about that, full, like serving Jesus full-time in some capacity, if you've never thought about that, you should. And if you're just laughing to yourself right now, you especially should think about that, right? You should. I'm not saying all of you should go into full-time ministry, and that's not what I'm saying. But all of us should at least understand what Paul understood, that as a new creation, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who died for us. His agenda becomes now our agenda. And for some, that will mean like 
in a more formal way, in a full-time way. All of us should come before the Lord and ask him, how would you have me spend my life? And that means some of us must be willing to go to the unreached. Some of us, it means that we're going to be present to support existing ministries in some way. Some of us, it means you're going to be called to pastoral ministry or to be a counselor, or to be a church planter, or to be a missionary locally or nationally or internationally. On and on we can go. So yes, when we're thinking about being ambassadors, it means that God does call some to do that full time in strategic ways, in a bunch of different ways. But for others, it, it, it won't mean necessarily ministry as a vocation. But friends, you're still called to be an ambassador of some kind. The opportunities, listen, the opportunities and access that you, when I say you, think of you. The opportunities and access you have is unique to you. And I just happen to believe, and a few of us here happen to believe, that God's sovereign enough to actually ordain each and every circumstance you are in. And that means that God in his wisdom and his sovereignty has placed you and equipped you with what you have and where you are to represent him in the world, in your community, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, especially at Walmart, right? The, the, the opportunity, the, the opportunities and access you have is unique to you. The people you have around you is unique to you. And God in his sovereignty and wisdom has called you to be an ambassador, a representative of King Jesus in that place. You may not be getting a paycheck for it. Somebody else may be paying your salary. But you're there to represent Christ, point people to Christ. That's what you're called to do as, as an ambassador. You're speaking on behalf of this kingdom and this king. Again, some will do that full-time, many will do that in other ways. But all of us are called to do that. All of us should be motivated by fear of the Lord and compelled by the love of Christ because we are a new creation. All of us should understand that if we're Christians, our lives no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to Christ. And what he calls and what he equips us to do is what we do joyfully and to his glory and praise. So that is our motive. Fear of the Lord, the love of Christ, the fact that we are a new creation. Then we need to think about our message. Our message. As God's people, as new creations, we have a lot to say as his ambassadors. There, there's a lot of messages we communicate to the world as we seek to love God and love our neighbor, for sure. Again, we have a responsibility to speak on matters of life in the image of God. We have a responsibility to engage uh, and speak to issues concerning gender and sexuality. We have a responsibility to say a lot of things about a lot of things. But our greatest message is this message of reconciliation. And this message must be at the core of all others. You see verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, 
God making his appeal through us. You're not the one that's ultimately making the appeal. God's making the appeal. He's the one speaking through you, through the gospel that you communicate. And then notice what Paul says. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. Our message is to be centered in the work of Christ, what he came to accomplish. Our message ultimately is a gospel message. We're called to communicate the glories and wonders of what Christ has done to reconcile sinners to himself. And yes, when you tie that uh, with what Jesus said in the Great Commission, that we're to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You think about that, certainly our mission is much more comprehensive as we are called to make disciples. But listen, if you were to think about it in, 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 the, in the image of a spear, the very tip of that spear, the very tip point of that should be gospel proclamation, right? We should be speaking this message of reconciliation because you make disciples of those who have been reconciled to the Lord. It's a ministry of reconciliation. Certainly, this fact carries with it a lot of implications when you think about being reconciled to God. There's a lot of implications that come with it. And we could look elsewhere in the Bible and we could see this kind of teased out in, in different ways. When we speak of God's work of reconciliation, it will certainly inform the relationships that we have. It will inform personal reconciliation. Friendships, marriages, neighbors, co-workers, where there's fractures in relationships, the fact that we've been reconciled to God should compel us to seek reconciliation with others. Those who know the blessing and gift of reconciliation from God ought to be initiating efforts of broken relationships with others. Friends, listen, you cannot possibly enjoy the gift of reconciliation that God has given you and be content in being alienated from other people. Romans 12 verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So it's not the main point of what Paul's saying here. The main point of what Paul's saying here is that as an ambassador, I'm called to be a herald of good news. Uh, to, I'm called to a ministry of reconciliation that I'm, that I'm called. My priority is to tell people how they can be reconciled to a holy God. That's the priority. And by implication, that's going to have a lot of things that, that teases out in our lives, personal reconciliation, this whole issue of ra racial reconciliation for sure. Again, a lot can be unpacked even with that topic, but it's one of the reasons I continue to see, say why it's essential that Christians ought to be leading the way in this conversation, not, world, not the world. Racial reconciliation, just like personal reconciliation, only works for the long term when you have the gospel at the core of it all. And that's why Christians should never be silent on that issue, but we should be speaking up because we actually have the right answer. We have the right answer. So you see a lot of implications. But as Paul is saying here, 
The focus that we have been called to is a focus of pointing people as ambassadors to this glorious good news of how we can be reconciled to a holy God. Friends, as one who has been reconciled, you will certainly want to be part of this great mission of God reconciling other people. The reconciliation God has given us in Christ certainly shapes how we are reconciled to other people in our lives, but it also shapes and informs the fact that we ought to be declaring this good news of how people can be reconciled to God. So again, here the focus here on this message of reconciliation doesn't mean it's our only message. Don't hear me say that. It doesn't mean that preaching the gospel is the only thing we ever say. I'm saying it's the most important thing we say. It's the most urgent message we have. It's the greatest priority that we should be committed to. We, we, we have a lot to say about a lot of things, but this is our most urgent and the most pressing message we must be giving ourselves to individually and corporately as God's people. The most important thing we ever have to say to the world is be reconciled to God. And that comes through Christ. The mission of the church is a mission that must be one that prioritizes God's redemptive plan to reconcile sinners from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Our mission doesn't end with that message, but it certainly begins there, and it must make that the priority. J. Gresham Machen was a prominent Presbyterian scholar from the early 1900s, and in 1933, during the depths of the Great Depression, he sought to answer a pressing question of that day. So 1933, a few years ago, he sought to answer the pressing question of the day, and the pressing question of the day in his circles is this, what is the church's responsibility in this new age? To which he wrote, the responsibility of the church in this new age is the same as its responsibility in every age. It is to testify that this world is lost in sin, that there is a mysterious, holy, living God, creator of all, upholder of all, infinitely beyond all, that he has revealed himself to us in his word and offered us communion with himself through Jesus Christ the Lord, that there is no other salvation for individuals or for nations save this, but that this salvation is full and free and that whoever possesses it for himself and for all others to whom he may be the instrument of bringing it, a treasure compared with which all the kingdoms of the earth are as dust of the street. An unpopular message it is, an, an impractical message, we are told, but it is the message of the Christian church. Neglect it and you will have destruction. Heed it and you will have life. He said that in 1933 and that is just as true in 2020. Our mission is to be ambassadors for the gospel cause in this world to make disciples of the one who came and accomplished our re reconciliation. And brothers and sisters, my simple question to you is this, how is that priority being fleshed out in your life? How is this priority, this, this call that we have to be ambassadors in the world, to point people to how they can find reconciliation with the Holy God through Jesus Christ, how is that being exemplified in your life? Just this week, last week, how's it going to be exemplified in your life this week? Of course, it's going to look so different in all of our different circumstances. But friends, I, part of the reason we're wanting to preach this this morning is to remind us all 
that this is our driving priority. What are the ways that you're giving yourself to be ambassadors for King Jesus? What opportunities has the Lord given you to engage in this ministry of reconciliation? I said earlier that every single one of us have unique, unique contexts that God has given us. How are you leveraging those contexts and those opportunities to speak of the one who came to reconcile sinners? Friends, maybe you haven't thought much about that responsibility lately. But friend, it is our greatest responsibility. It is our greatest joy to be able to communicate to a lost and dying world how they can be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. This past week, we all looked with shock at the horrific explosion in Beirut. It's left a devastating impact for countless thousands of people in that city, impact that we would probably not even be able to relate to. Some say that that city will never be the same again because of such devastating effects. City Bible Church, an Acts 29 church, was the closest church to the explosion, about a quarter mile away. None of the members, were told, suffered major injuries, but their building was absolutely destroyed. And like so many, they're trying to figure out what to do next in that city. What, what do we do? The devastation is so great. Our homes, our church, building, leveled in seconds. The pastor of that church, Marwan Abul Zaloff, wrote an article on this past Wednesday of this past week, just a day or two after the explosion. And this is what he said. He said, so much relief work is needed. So much needs to be rebuilt. So many families will need long-term care. But I believe, as I first did when planting our church, that Beirut's greatest hope is not a stable economy or honest politicians. Its greatest hope is blood-bought believers who carry with them the hope and power of the gospel. So we're praying and trusting that the church of Jesus Christ in Lebanon will be a shining light amidst all the darkness and destruction. That was his answer. He looks around and sees devastation, need for relief work, need for all kinds of things to practically take place just to get these people back to some normal semblance of living again. And yet he's able to say, the greatest hope of this city, as important as all that's going to be, the greatest hope of this city is to find their hope in Christ. Literally a major part of that city where that church exists has been leveled. In a moment, so much changed for hundreds of thousands of people, but one thing didn't change. The mission of a group of believers known as City Bible Church. The greatest need of that city is the same both before and after the explosion, and thus the mission of the church has not changed. Granted, much of their work will now be meeting physical need. Much of their work will take on new shape, but the purpose for why they are there has not altered one bit. Brothers and sisters, that is the same for us. The circumstances we find ourselves in may change. Things may look different, but our mission, our priority is always to be one of gospel proclamation to a world that desperately needs to hear it. 
So let's get to work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for reminding us of what you've called us to do in this world, at least what our priority is. There's so many good things that we can be part of and we should be part of and that we must be doing in this world just as your people present to do good and to point people, uh, to magnify you and to, to point people even to you in some ways. Father, would you help us not to lose sight? Would you help us never to lose sight of this priority of gospel proclamation, of, of sharing the news to this world and to our community, to our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, whoever that you've placed us around. Lord, would you help us never forget that our greatest privilege and our greatest priority is to be those who, who share this message of reconciliation, this message of redeeming work that you have done through sending of your own son to be the savior of sinners. Father, would you help us never to lose sight of that? And Lord, that's gonna mean so much in so many ways and so many circumstances in our lives. But Father, my prayer is that in a world that is full of distraction, that you would help Redeeming Grace Baptist Church not get distracted to not lose sight of our great privilege and priority to be your ambassadors. Would you help us to do that faithfully? And would you help us to do that regularly? We pray this in Christ's name, amen.